Spring Mount Calvary Church. We're going to be in 1 Samuel again this morning, chapter 23. And so if you have a Bible and you have a moment to turn there, we want to welcome you. We're glad that we can be together in worship today. We're, we got an important congregational meeting afterwards, and so we're looking forward to that and all that God's doing with our school and the vote that we're going to be doing for the school. And so we just thank you for being here. Um, we're going to be in chapter 23 this morning. If you remember last week, the sermon was based around one question from chapter 22. What do we do when we find ourselves stuck and alone in the caves? When we are discouraged and we are overwhelmed and we are broken, what do we, what do, we do? Where do we turn and so we looked last week at David. How did David respond when he felt like all of his life was, was being turned upside down? And we learned from the Psalms, Psalm 142 and Psalm 57, of what David did, that he lamented, that he came to God in prayer, and he was, he was honest, that he prayed hopefully, that he prayed confidently. Now, who does he turn to in the, the darkest hour? He turns to the one person who can do something about his situation. And so the Psalms were this, this prayer that David offers up to God, crying out to him. And so for us, the encouragement was that we, we cry out to God. We whip out that promise key, clinging to the hope that we have in the promises of God. But this morning, the question for us is, is I mean, is that it? I mean, is that all we are to do, that we are to cry out? Where is God in our crying out? How does God respond? The emphasis last week was on us. And we pray and we cry out and we come honestly to God. But the question this morning is, is well, what is God doing? Does God hear us? Does God respond to us? He's got distracted. I was having a conversation with someone nameless, very nameless, and, and their, their wrist vibrated or whatever. And they looked down and we're, caught, we're having a conversation and all of a sudden their little watch is telling them someone's talking to them. And you just feel like we're not having a conversation any longer. Or you, if you've ever had a one of your kids come up to you and you're on your phone and you're scrolling and you're, you're not engaged in the conversation. I mean, is this what God is doing to us? Does he hear us? Does he respond to us? And the answer, of course, is no. God is not distracted. God is not disengaged. God is not not hearing us. No, when we pray and we cry out in our distress and we come to God honestly and we pray, hopefully, God hears us and he responds to us. He wants to help us. And so this is kind of the focus of the sermon. God hears you in your prayer and he wants to help you. God wants to help you. In your sadness, God wants to help you. And in your discouragement, God wants to help you. And in your stress, God wants to help you. In your brokenness, God wants to help you. And this is what we see in this chapter. 
The focus isn't just on David lamenting and crying out, but it is on how God hears our cries and he then responds. Now, to be clear, David is no longer in the cave of Adullam. That was last chapter. He leaves the cave in chapter 22, and he ends up going to the forest. But it certainly feels like David is still in the cave. Like, he may not literally be there, but he is discouraged as as if he was. He is continuing to lament. He is in the cave of betrayal, as we'll soon read. He's in the cave of fear and danger in the wilderness of Ziph. He is lamenting. And how do we know that David, even though he is not in a doolum any longer, still lamenting? We have, his, we have his journal. We have his psalms of lament. Psalm 54, which we are confident was written somewhere in 1 Samuel 23 to the choir master when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? Hear David's lament. He says, oh God, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before me themselves. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, probably somewhere in the second half of our chapter this morning. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I mean, do you hear the desperation of David? Like, I am thirsting for you, and I am fainting for you. I mean, that was the lament. And the question is, well, what is God going to do? How does God respond to David and his desperation? Well, we see the answer in verse 4 of Psalm 54. This was the psalm of lament that I just read, the very next verse, behold, God is my helper. God is helping us. He wants to help you, that when you cry out, he is there to help. And so the question for us this morning that I think it is, it is vital for us is, how does God help? How does God help us when we cry out? It is so crucial for us to know how and in what ways does God help us today to just say, may may God help you this week. That's not very helpful. How and in what ways does God help us still today? And I think looking at David helps us because what we see is often the way that we want to be helped is not the way that God ordinarily and routinely helps us. And so we, it's important to know so that we don't get discouraged or disenfranchised or dis, just disillusioned that the help that God is giving us is not what we are expecting. We've, we've discovered this with our, just in our own kids. My wife actually had a surgery just a little over, a little less than two weeks ago on her thyroid. She's, her thyroid has been giving her problems now for over 10 years and there's a nodule on her thyroid that was getting bigger and bigger and starting to really impact how it was functioning. And so um, she, hasn't been, she wasn't feeling her best. And so the, this, the doctor said, it's, well, it's time to, to get some help for this. And so we were telling our kids this, that the doctors are going to help, help mom feel better and take care of this thyroid problem. And so 
They were thrilled to hear this. The doctors are going to help her. They're going to get their little stethoscope and wave it around her thyroid, which is here. They're going to give her a pill. They're going, to, they're, just, they're going to fix her quickly and easily. She'll be home for dinner. We'll have our game night, Thursday night game night, uh, and it'll be just like that. But we had to explain to them, that's not how the doctor's going to help mom. That mom has to have a surgery. Right? They're going to have a little incision, and they're going to take off the nodule. They're going to remove some of the thyroid, and they're going to have to put her to sleep. That sounds weird. They're going to, that sounds really weird. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And she's going to be very deeply asleep. And that she's not going to feel anything. And she's not going to feel great when she wakes up. And she's going to have to rest all week and not do much of anything. It wasn't the help that they were expecting, but it was the help that mom needed. And we told them, we have sought this out. This is a good thing. That though there's pain and though it's not going to be the easiest of all weeks, we are confident that this is for mom's good. And so, It is important, and we told them, it is important for you to understand, kids, this is how they're helping us. And the same can be said for us today. It is is vital that we know, how is it that God wants to help you today in your discouragement, whatever that is? And for that, we look at David, and we look at 1 Samuel 23. I'll read all 29 verses, so stay awake. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. I was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant is heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. 
And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. And then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horesh on the hill of Hecala, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information, and I will go with you. And if he's in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they rose, and they went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock, and he lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, and Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David, and he went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there, and he lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and we pray that you would show us the ways in which you help us still today through this text. That we do thirst for you. We thirst for your help and your glory and your presence in our lives. So God, help us to see to hear, to understand who you are in this text. And we recognize, God, that we come into this room in our sin and in our stress and in our exhaustion and in our fear and whatever else we come into this room with, God. But we pray for your grace that you'd speak to us clearly by your word through the example of David. And so, God, we love you and we worship you and we ask for your help this morning. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So how does God help David? We know he's lamenting. The two Psalms tell us he is still in the state of sadness and discouragement and lament, yet God here helps David. And if you read the last couple of chapters, you'll see pretty clearly kind of step away from just this chapter, a strong comparison between David and Saul. It's kind of this back and forth comparison. What was Saul just doing in chapter 22? The subtitle tells us one chapter ago, what was Saul doing? He's killing the priests at Nob. I mean, the people that he was called to protect, he is ravaging the priests of God, God's chosen people, the people he's supposed to fight for, the people that represent God, and Saul is killing them mercilessly for no reason. And now we get to chapter 23. The, the story turns back to David. What is David doing? David is saving the city of Keilah. I mean, the people that he is called to protect, 
to fight for, to represent. He is fighting for them, and he is fighting against the enemies of Israel. But what really stands out about these first, this first part of the story in the first 14 verses in Keilah is how David knows what he's supposed to be doing. And the text is pretty emphatic to tell us four times David inquires of the Lord. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 10, verse 11. I mean, this seems to be a repeated theme. How is David to know what, when, how he's to go and to attack the Philistines in Keilah? God's word tells him. God's word, he responds, gives him guidance and gives him encouragement, gives him discernment. God responds with his word. And so it is here that we see the first way that God helps us in our seasons of lament. God helps David here in his season of lament by clearly speaking to him. God helps David by speaking to him with his word. And God is not silent. God's not too big and he's not too far off and he's not disengaged and it's not too small of a matter. God responds to David. God helps David by clearly speaking to him. And so I think it's important to see how does God speak to David. The first thing that David does, he goes to him about the, what he hears about the people in Keilah who are in trouble. What does God's word tell him? Gives him a mission and gives him a purpose. He says to go. There are Philistines that are, that are taking, they're plundering the threshing floors. The threshing floors in Israel would have been all the grain that they were storing. I mean, this was, this was their livelihood. And so the Philistines are coming in, and they are literally threatening their lives by stealing their food. But this, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the surface why David would go and do this. I mean, he's got enough problems on his hands. He is a fugitive. He is hunted. Why would he do this? Saul, Israel is already after him in Saul, and now you're creating a new problem by going and fighting the Philistines, and so now you're just doubling up the problems that you have. And so David, though, he's the, the anointed king. He wants to do this, and so what does he do? He goes to God and says, give me direction. Should I go? And what does God say back to him? Go. Go. He gives him purpose. He gives him a mission. Go and save the people. Even though it doesn't make sense, and even though he's a fugitive, and even though he's on a run, God says, my mission for you to be a light and to, to save my people, it is bigger than your present disposition. And so God is helping David by saying, I've got something for you to do. I've got a mission for you to do. How is it helping David? I mean, again, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It seems like it's not helping David. It's potentially harming him. But we know that when we go out to do something good for someone else, it's, it is helpful for us. There's a, a whole branch of psychology called altruistic psychology that says, that says this. When you're discouraged and you're depressed and things are dark, one of the best things for you to do is to go and do something for somebody else. To not think about yourself and your problems and all the, all the struggles that you have, but, but this, this 
area of psychology has learned that it is actually powerful and effective personally for you to not just focus on your problems, but it actually pulls you up out of your darkness to go and to help someone. And so this is what God is telling David. He's saying, yeah, we're not waiting for you to get your life together, David. I mean, when would we, any of us do ministry? Okay, just wait till everything's figured out. You got no problems. Life is perfect. And then you're ready to go and to help someone. Now, we would never, ever be doing any ministry. So he's saying, God, he's saying to David, don't be so absorbed with yourself or in your protection, and I know Saul is going after you, but I am giving you a mission, and I am giving you purpose that far supersedes your circumstances. And you're not comfortable, but trust me, go and do the work that I've called you to do. And so God's word is purposeful for David. But then we see in verse 3, God's word is, kind of functions in a different way. The mighty men that we talked about last week, the, the men that have debts and bitterness and that, that are in dismay, they, they see what David is, is plotting here. Like, we're going to Keilah. And what did the mighty men say? This is a bad idea, David. They are fearful. What are you thinking, David? Saul is after us. And so David hears these men. He understands their fear. And so what does David do? Verse 3, he goes back and he inquires of the Lord again. God, my men are scared. Are you sure this is a good idea? And what does God say in return? He, he repeats himself, but then he says very emphatically, I will give the Philistines into your hands. He speaks to David's fear. He speaks to the mighty men's fear. And he reassures them with his truth and with his promise. What does God's word do here? It speaks to their fear. It gives them confidence to act. It gives them reassurance to go and to do and to be all that God's called them to do. And this is the power of the word of God. To reassure us in our fear. I remember learning this with our family and with our kids when they were little, very little. Ashley worked night shifts as a nurse. And on the, I remember the first couple times that, they, that she worked, I, that meant dad's in charge. Dad's in charge of everything, putting you to bed. And, and I remember our kids were scared to go to bed at one point. And I'm like, where's mom? Where's mom? And they're crying. And what mom would do, since they were scared to go to bed, uh, she, would, she would sing a song. She actually wrote a song. She's very talented. She wrote a song, and she would sing it to the kids every night, to each of them. And I remember thinking, oh, that's perfect. I will sing the song. I hear them singing it. I know the words. And so I remember going into their bedroom, singing the song, and they looked at me and said, Dad, this is not helping. This is making it worse. We want mom. We don't want you singing it. And so the song, I was going to sing it this morning. I won't sing it. But when you start to fear, know that I'm right here. And so is Jesus. And so she wrote this song. And I tried to sing it. And it failed. It failed miserably. Well, the next time that I was in charge, I had an idea, a really good idea. I'm not going to sing the song. I'm going to record mommy singing the song. And I'm going to give them my phone. Listen to this song 10 times if you want to. And so it worked. It worked. Hearing mom sing the song made a difference for them when they were completely scared. 
And listen, this is the power of God's word to David. First, it gave him a direction and a mission and a purpose. And then in the very next verse, what is God's word doing? I have it. I will take care of the Philistines. And the fear of the mighty men was gone. And so what do they do? They go and they strike down the Philistines. And they win. And it's a decisive battle. And it is a quick battle. And just like they suspected, just like they were scared of, Saul sees the smoke and he starts to head to Keilah. And so now, David's like, now, okay, God. Like, now what do I do? You called me here. You reassured me in your word. Now what do I do? Well, just at about the same time, Abiathar, the high priest, who we read about in Nob, when Saul decimated all the priests, uh, Abiathar escaped, meets back up with David here in Keilah, and it just so happens that he's wearing a priestly garment. And so David sees, sees Abiathar, sees the situation. He knows Saul is coming, sees that he's in trouble, and he says, now I need to hear from God again. But this time, the text says he doesn't inquire of the Lord. This time he used the, the garment of the high priest, the ephod, probably used the Urim and the Thummim, which would be these, would have been a little pouch on the front of his ephod, which was like an, an apron. I almost said a skirt. It's an apron. And he had this little, this little pouch of stones. And it's mysterious how it worked. I mean, we, we don't know for sure, but most likely there were stones in this little pocket. And depending on the color that they pulled out, they would know God would direct them. God would tell them through these stones and through this mechanism what to do and how to respond. And so David seeks to hear God's word through a different way. And he asks two questions. Is Saul coming? And will the people of Keilah give us up and surrender us to Saul if he does actually come? And God, God responds again with another word. God this time gives David warning. He speaks back to David through the ephod, through Abiathar. Yes, they are coming. And yes, as, as crazy as it sounds, the, the people whose lives you just saved will turn on you and betray you and will give you back up to Saul. And so yet again, we see God's word speaks again, and it's in a different way. First, God's word gave him purpose and a mission. Go. Then God's word was reassuring and encouraging him. I will give them to you. And now what do we see God's word functioning as? He gives a warning you need to leave. You need to leave. You will be in harm if you stay. And so it is here that we see this multifaceted, beautiful purpose of how God's word helps David in the season of his lament and in the season of his trouble. Now for us today, listen, mechanism, the means or the mechanism has changed, right? We don't we don't need priests, and we don't need prophets, and we don't need little colored stones, and we don't need dreams, and we do not need warm feelings about what God is telling us to do. But the principle is there, still there. God wants to help you today in whatever it is that you face by speaking to you in this book right here. That that God's word is, is powerful enough, is diverse enough, that it can speak to you in a multiple 
variety of ways depending where you are in your life. Just some examples of this, of, of the word saying to us over and over again, like, what do you face? What do you face? This book will speak to that situation. Are you lost and searching for purpose? Your word is a lamp to my feet, Psalm 119, 105. Are you discouraged and hopeless? Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Are you stuck or addicted or imprisoned by sin? John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Are you confused? I mean, do you need wisdom about something? Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This book, dwell in it richly for wisdom. Are you downcast? Jeremiah 15.16, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. Are you broken? Proverbs 4, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings, for they are life to those who find them, healing to all their flesh. Now I get it. There are 10,000 things that compete for our attention. I mean, we are so quick to be lured away from this book and our time in this book. I mean, we have news to watch we have sleep, and we've got lunches to pack, we've got chores and work and things to watch on TV. We have hobbies and things that we enjoy. I mean, there are 10,000 things to do. But hear me, nothing, nothing surpasses the superior benefits of this book in your life right now today. Nothing at all. Nothing. And so as a church, or as a person, as a pastor, we, we need to repent, confess that we are so quickly lured away from the help that God is, he gives it to us in this book, yet we, we flee it and we run from it and we go all to all other places. What do you need to do for your help? We need to go to this book, run to it, bask in it, meditate on it, memorize it, study it, dig into it. I mean, live in this book like Jeremiah said, eat it so that we can find help. I mean, there's so much purpose in this book. I mean, just think of the, the metaphors that were used. I mean, it's a map and it's a light and it's an anchor and it's your foundation and it's your bread and your water. In 1 Samuel 3, what did God, what did God say to Samuel? He revealed himself to Samuel how did God, we want to see God by his word. How does God help us today? God helps us by revealing himself and doing all sorts of other things by his word. But that's not all we see here. David escapes Keilah. I mean, God told him, go, get out of here. And, God, and David listens. He goes to the hill country of Zeph. Ziph would have been as nice of a vacation as going to the desert. I mean, this is not a pleasant place. He goes there, yet God continues to help David. Look at verse 15 through 17. David saw 
that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zeph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear. The hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. And we've not talked about the friendship of David and Jonathan, but here it seems pretty clear that God is helping David through his friendship with Jonathan. That they are friends. I mean, the phrase that he strength, that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God, in this little meeting. I mean, Jonathan risked his life, yet decisively gets up and goes to David at Ziph. And he strengthens him. How does God strengthen David? Through Jonathan. His presence, okay, he's there with him. His encouragement, in verse 17, he says to him, he repeats God's word, do not fear. Don't fear, David. He affirms in David the promises of God. You shall be king. And so the question for you and for me is, is do, how does God help us? God helps us through people like Jonathan in David's life, by, in our own lives. And so do you have friends that give you strength when you are discouraged. We need this kind of friend, right? We've been talking about caves. I mean, life is hard. Troubles and tragedies, difficulties and storms, caves after cave after cave. We need friends who give and speak life into us, giving us strength. This is how God made us. This is how God made it. God made it. This is the mechanism which God has chosen to use to help you when you are struggling. In the very beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, over and over, it was good, 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 until Genesis 2.18. It's not good. Before the fall, things were not good. Well, wow, that's in paradise. Things are not good. What is he talking about? No, you were not meant to be alone. So you have Eve and you have companionship and relationship and friendship that we were built and created to find encouragement and to find help from God through other people. And so do you have friends in your life that speak the word of God in you, that encourage you by the word of God? This is, you know, as I was studying this, it just, just affirmed in me why we do grow groups. We talk about grow groups. They're groups of two or three men, two or three women, that, that go to God for help in these two ways. We study the word of God and we hopefully create friendships with the people in our group because we need both. We need both. And so grow groups are a way that we do that here, but it is the key to how God helps us. And then lastly, the last section, we have this kind of repeat moment of what happened in Keilah, but this time with the Ziphites. I mean, you can understand what... You can imagine what they were doing. They knew what happened in Nob. I mean, remember the high priests? They un, even didn't even understand it, and Saul didn't care. He killed them all. And so they're thinking, well, we don't want to be the next Nob. And so we better, we better give all the information we have on David. And so that's what they do yet again. And so the very end of the, of the chapter, it kind of becomes this, I don't know, dramatic cinematic moment. Verse 25, and Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness. 
And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. I mean, the tension. They're about to be captured and killed. What happens? Verse 27, a messenger came to Saul. Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. I mean, who would have thought? The Philistines, the enemies, the enemies. God uses the Philistines, the people that he was saving, he was saving Keilah from, are now being used for David yet again. And so now we see this last point. God helps us just at the right time by protecting us from the evil one. God helps us by protecting from evil. You go back to the psalm, and I close with this. David says in the psalm of lament that he wrote when he was in the wilderness of the Ziphites, he wrote this verse, verse 7. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. He's saying, I didn't know how he was going to do it. I didn't know what it was going to look like. But David says, God has helped me by delivering me in my moment of peril. And so for us today, God is still protecting us today. How does God help us today? He helps us through his word. He helps us through friendship. But then he helps us by protecting us from evil. Look at Colossians. When I saw that last little phrase in Psalm 54, triumph on my enemies, my mind took me to what Jesus does for us on the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together in him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In Jesus, we have help that, yes, we're in cave after cave after cave, but we can know God has already helped us in the biggest way that we needed help. Our enemies have been triumphed. Jesus hung on the cross. He took our debt. He disarmed the rulers so that we can, even though we struggle, and even though we're disappointed, and even though we're in darkness, we can know God has helped us by taking care of our enemies. And so for us, may that be our encouragement, that wherever you find yourself today, whatever your struggle is, God wants, to, God wants to help you. We can say that definitively through this book, through godly friends who speak truth in your life, and through remembering the triumph of evil that we get to enjoy in Christ on the cross, Christ buried and Christ resurrected. Let's pray. So Father, I pray that as we faint for you and as we long for you and as we seek for your help, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to each of us this week through your word in whatever we face. God, I pray and confess against the temptation that it is so easy to find 10,000 other things to do than spend time in your word. But God, I pray that you change our hearts and change our minds to see the beauty and the value and the riches and the joy and the glory that we can discover in this book. And God, as we open up these pages this week, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Speak truth. 
speak to our struggles, speak to our need for, for purpose and direction. Warn us. Warn us where we need to be warned. God, may we find life through your son in this book this week. And God, now we sing this song. Lord, we need you. And so God, may we pray, as we pray this to you, God, I pray that you would reassure us in all that we are in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.